0: Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening where we continue to reflect into the richness of the Gospel text. This evening, we are going to spend more time in the second reading. Um, This Sunday, of course, is Corpus Christi Sunday, so a Sunday where we are made to reflect into the richness of the Body of Christ, the richness of uh, the Eucharist, and in particular, in the light of the second reading that comes to us from 1 Corinthians 11, those words that come to us from Jesus, do this in memory of me. And I could not pass up another opportunity to talk about that great principle, that great faculty of the soul, our memory. And so um, this evening, focusing in on what it means to remember, will very much be what our subject matter is about. And I am most excited to share with you that I will be drawing from my own book, a book that has just been released, titled A Heart for Evangelizing. Um, If you want to order that, you can go to Amazon.com. Just uh, punch in my name, Joseph Holcraft, and the book will come up. Again, the book titled A Heart for Evangelizing. Um, This evening, I'm going to draw from that book, a chapter from my own book, um, a chapter that focuses in on uh, just not memory, just not those words, do this in remembrance of me. But again, what this overarching faculty of the soul memory is all about, right? So again, um, we will be in the second reading today, so if you have your Bible out, you can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus. On the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, remember the Greek there, eucharistos literally translates as to give thanks. The Eucharist literally means thanksgiving. He broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And remember, As we've talked about it in the past, my friends, those words, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, that can also translate as this cup is the new testament in my blood. When we are talking about the Eucharist, as it was understood by the first Christians, the Eucharist was the New Testament, right? Um, We have to remember that the New Testament in its book form uh, did not come to us till uh, several centuries later. So the Eucharist, in the light of Christ's own words, was seen as the New Testament. Now, as I noted off the top, this evening we are going to talk about um, just not the meaning of the Eucharist, we'll get to more of that later, but what memory is all about. What memory is all about. Now, for me more personally, this principle, this faculty of the soul, took on a whole new meaning in light of a trip I made some years ago. It was, in fact, in the winter of 2007 that I got in a car with a close friend of mine, and we made the three-hour drive to the annual Walk for Life a uh, West Coast in San Francisco. And as I explained to my friend, this trip was just not about a three-hour pilgrimage to Assisi by the Bay to witness on behalf of the unborn. It was also to be a journey into the past. What do I mean by that? Well, during my adolescence, I lived in the East Bay, and up to this trip... I had not spent any significant time in my old neighborhood. I remember after marching down Embarcadero Street and praying on behalf of the unborn, which in itself was a profound experience, getting excited to um, set off for my old neighborhood in San Ramon, California. San Ramon is in the East Bay of uh, Northern California there. Now, initially, my plan was to spend the late afternoon an evening in a few spots where I had a great deal of fond memories growing up. But my plans quickly changed as we drove onto the highway. I was thinking about my childhood, and to my surprise, the first thing that came to my mind was the many days I spent at the local junior college running track. So consequently, we decided to take a pit stop at Chabot Junior College in Hayward, California. As we drove up to the college, I recall seeing those same set of bleachers that were there 25 years earlier. huh? <laughs> then, quite unexpectedly, I suddenly remembered particular events from my time at Chabot that I had not thought of in a very long time. As I walked through the entrance into the stadium and smelled the fresh cut grass, it was almost as if the grass itself <laughs> was calling out to me. Do you remember me? Once again, I remember details of things that had happened to me long ago at Chabot Junior College. For all intents and purposes, these moments left me overwhelmed, and I dare say quite emotional. I could not help but ask myself, you know, what, what, what is happening to me? Why am I being filled with so many memories and emotions at the sight of a stadium and at the smell of grass? It was very awkward at the time. It was very new to me. And it was then that I started to think about the life of John Paul II. And his reflections on the meaning of a pilgrimage. John Paul II once spoke of the power of going on a pilgrimage, but not the conventional pilgrimage where we journey to a holy destination with the hopes of being refreshed and experiencing renewal. His reflection was more about the kind of journey man takes when he encounters Christ within. In particular, it concerned those moments when we go back into our past, and by way of memory and hindsight, are then able to see more clearly how God has worked in our lives. What's interesting is that this reflection from John Paul II occurred during his first trip home to Wadowice, Poland, after being installed as Supreme Pontiff. John Paul II was compelled to critically reflect upon his days as a teenager there, huh? when World War II was on his doorstep, a pilgrim of his own past. The Supreme Pontiff was moved to tears. Appreciating the greatness of God and all that He had done for Him. Essentially, for John Paul II, that day, just by being in Wadowice, Poland, by being physically present in his old home in Wadowice, he was properly disposed by way of his memory to see how God made him new in Christ. Fascinating. So, on that trip to my old junior college, I was on this type of pilgrimage, we could say, huh? Traveling into the past and gaining a profound appreciation for all that God had done for me. This is the power of memory. Brothers and sisters, memory is the most prolific catalyst of the human spirit. As St. Augustine once said, a vast and immeasurable sanctuary. According to St. Augustine, because we are created in the image and likeness of God, our soul possesses three faculties. The intellect, the will, and the memory. The greatest of these being memory. Why would St. Augustine say that? Well, think about it. Without our memory, we would effectively cease to be ourselves. I could no longer make a phone call to a loved one. I would no longer be able to make a quick run to the store. Nor could I remember my sibling's birthday. I could no longer be the father, husband, brother, son, uncle, and so on that God has called me to be without my memory. My dear friends, memory is the soul of our relationships, and it guides us into this kind of interpersonal communion with the larger family of God. It is no wonder that St. Augustine thought of memory as the supreme faculty of our soul. Everything we touch, everything we smell, everything we see and act upon is filtered through this immense womb we call memory. In the words of one Father cantal de Mesa, you've heard me quote before. <laughs> in that same reflection on memory from Father cantal Mesa, he reminds us that memory is never to be reduced to just individuals, but also to human groups, right? Families, tribes, clans, nations, all have a collective memory. It is in the light of this that it should come to no surprise that a, a figure like Adolf Hitler, would set out to take over the world by making every attempt to systematically stamp out the cultural memory of the people he sought to rule. Hitler thought that by stripping the people of their religion, social structures, etc., he would diminish the spirit of man. And while he was somewhat successful in his destructive endeavor, history books remind us that his attempt to conquer the world was a failure. Now, why am I talking about Adolf Hitler? I mention Hitler here to contrast him with another man during the same time in history, the man I was just talking about, John Paul II. During the onset of World War II, the young and spirited Karol Wojtyla, who we, of course, know as John Paul II, sought to keep the Catholic faith and the spirit of the Polish culture alive through the medium of drama because why he knew the power of memory. How did he do this? Well, initially, it was by establishing Uh, The underground rhapsodic theater, huh? In which he would very much keep the Polish culture and Catholic spirit alive. We should remember, my friends, (laughs) that long before Karol Wojtyla was a bishop, cardinal, and pope, he was first a a poet, writer, and actor. His plays stirred the hearts of the Polish people with a fond sense of who they were as individuals before God and who they were as a nation. Many. People who know his story well view this as really one of his lesser-known examples of his saintliness. Carol Voitia's underground theatrical group reveals in many ways the success of one man who brought together a large group of people under the banner of what? Remembrance for the sake of retaining identity and that moral compass. So important was this to John Paul II. In the end, as it relates to this great principle of memory, my friends. Human groups find their collective wealth and communal identity not in stocks and bonds, but in the way they remember where they come from. This is why the celebration of such holidays as Independence Day and Memorial Day are so important. Remembering the birth of our nation and those who have lost their lives to defend it is essential to the fabric of any nation, let alone ours, no matter how big, no matter how small. What's more, celebrating particular events in the past does more than just provide another opportunity to mount a new picture on the wall. We are making the past present to gain a deeper appreciation and understanding of who we are. This is why we gather, right? How many of us have been a part of a recent celebration where there was more than just reminiscing going on, but storytelling that was life-giving, You know, within our circles, we have accumulated and inherited all sorts of customs and lore that stir the heart. We share these things with purpose and reason, not only in our families, but also in our greater communities, right? It is vital that we do this because it helps cultivate a deepened sense of the purpose memory serves in the Christian life. As apologist, uh, author, and speaker Scott Hahn once noted, Memory is more than just a psychological exercise of data retrieval; it is the faculty that tells us who we are. A man by the name of uh, Congar, a 20th-century Dominican priest and theologian, taught that we have traditions. Traditions, because they link us to our ancestors and thus enable us to carry on a kind of conversation with them. Right? What is tradition? Tradition is simply that principle. That links one generation to another. And how do we do this? Well, by conversation. There is a certain dynamism that comes with being able to identify with where we come from so as to better understand who we are and where we are going. I made to remember um, an assignment I gave to my sixth grade students, an assignment that opened my eyes to the power of what this conversation with the past. <laughs> really looks like. I was asked to teach on the topic of early man, and I thought a homework project allowing them to research their family histories would pique my students' interest. Remembering our ancestors was the name of the assignment. It interested not only my students, but also their parents. In point of fact, when it came time to present the research, most students were accompanied by one of their parents, if not both, because of their fascination with their own lineage and In this one case, I thought it to be okay that their parents were present to help present homework, right? What did I find? For each family, it was more than just another homework assignment. It was an opportunity to discover their roots. To this day, parents still come up to me and speak with great pride about their great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents, and so on. My dear friends, by gaining an understanding of the legacy of their forefathers— They had been encouraged to make their own lives that much more memorable. Essentially, it is to say to know the past is to enrich the present, and knowledge of our family tree provides more reason to live a purpose-driven life. We come to appreciate the gift of who we are and where we come from, which simultaneously does what but stir within us a greater desire to be more task-oriented in building up the kingdom of God. To appreciate the tenacity of those who have gone before us is to encourage the same tenacity to make a difference. This is certainly what I was seeing as parents and grandparents were being drawn to this assignment. Now, all that being said, what does this have to do with our Christian faith? Well, As you can well imagine, in the light of the reading that we have briefly touched upon, everything, the very soul of the church, possesses that same faculty of memory. Recall the words of Christ himself when he said to the apostles that he would send them the Holy Spirit to teach them all things and bring to their what? Remembrance all that he had taught them. The passage that we talked about recently, right? John 14, verse 26 The church remembers and she does most profoundly in the liturgy because the liturgy is the church's memory. The liturgy is the church's daily conversation with the ancients. It is where we converse with our spiritual family. In addition to remembering the life of Christ and the great solemnities and feast days of the liturgical year, what do we do? We remember the saints who have gone before us, the apostles and the saints like St. Augustine, St. Francis of Assisi, St. Dominic, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Ignatius of Loyola, all those saints we are familiar with, and many others. We remember because it is what the church does best. We devote days to these figures and reflect on what made them so great. And why? Because it inspires greatness within us. We should never forget that principal role of the church to bear witness to Jesus Christ, the incarnation of truth and love. Saintly men and women, by imitating Christ, have helped keep that memory alive through the ages, right? Is this not what the saints do? And as we reflect on the principle of memory, we are drawn to what lies at the center of it all, Christ, and those words that we opened up with, do this in remembrance of me do this in remembrance of me do what well yes the eucharist but pour yourself out as a libation as a sacrificial offering for god and when you do so do it in remembrance of me we should add here that this word remembrance best translates as a reactualizing or a representing when jesus christ says do this in remembrance of me he is instituting the eucharist And he is saying to all those present in that upper room, when you do this, you will make me present, literally and physically. And of course, in the sacrifice of the mass, as Christ's saving death is represented on the altar, he intercedes on behalf of men in the presence of the Father. Christ, my dear friends, has come as the new Passover, extending himself into our temporal reality. The God of history is made present on the altar time and time again, every second of every day. You have heard me play with some numbers within this context before. If each priest says Mass every day, and if the latest estimated total of priests is accurate, 346,000, then there are approximately four hosts being consecrated every second of every day. Brothers and sisters, The Eucharist is an eternal banquet in every sense of the word. Every sense of the word. And what does this mean for us? Well, we are made to reflect into how we are called to participate in the Eucharist, abide in the Eucharist, be transformed in the Eucharist. I often gravitate towards an analogy here. Have you ever wondered what makes a pink flamingo pink? Have you ever thought about that? Just recently, I was in the Sacramento Zoo, and there are lots of pink flamingos, and I was made to reflect upon it again recently. Well, the flamingo has a very selective diet, and it consists of organisms that are high in pigments called carotenoids. The flamingo eats such a high concentration of these pigments that their exterior turns a shade of beautiful pink, does it not? This transformation, in many ways, is a wonder of creation, and I would say this just as the flamingo's selective dietary intake causes its color and leaves us marveling at its beauty, so should our selective spiritual diet, if you will, the reception of the life-giving organism of the Eucharist, transform us and, like the pink flamingo, cause others to pause. We, like the flamingo, and even more so, should possess a new light, That attracts others around us into a more personal encounter with the incarnation of beauty, Jesus Christ. In a manner of speaking, when we consume Christ in the Eucharist, it is Christ in the Eucharist who consumes us. Christ's very body, blood, soul, and divinity is streaming through our veins. And my dear friends, it does not get any more personal than that. You know, sharing. And the mystery of the Eucharist has shaped Catholicism in its 2,000-year history, notably in that overarching gift of martyrdom, which, of course, is the summit of our spiritual worship. Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, when he was then Cardinal Ratzinger, said this about the role of martyrs in relationship to the Eucharist. Throughout history, the martyrs continued Christ's self oblation They are like the church's living altar, made not of stones, but of men, who have become members of the body of Christ, and thus express a new kind of cultus. Sacrifice is humanity becoming love with Christ. Beautiful. Remember, the word cultus in the Latin simply translates as worship, right? Worship. So, this realm of uh, spiritual sacrifice is what? But the realm of redemptive suffering, the realm of sharing in the redemptive love of Christ. This is why St. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1 verse 24, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. As I've noted in the past, Christ did not suffer on the cross as an antidote to human pain and agony but to give us an example of how to suffer with God. my dear friends, suffering is a very subjective thing. It is in the abstract, but in the light of sacred scripture, in the light of revelation, we can begin to grasp the meaning of suffering and its redemptive value in the light of Christ. When we recall our past, we see times of pain, suffering, and sin. And at some point, most, if not all of us, have been profoundly hurt by a loved one. Many of us have been involved in behavior that we have kept hidden. Some hurts run deeper than others. But nonetheless, we all share something in common. We are wounded individuals that need Christ's healing touch. And for this reason, my friends, we are called to invite Christ into those moments in our past that still need his healing power. And this kind of healing happens most profoundly in the sacrament of reconciliation, yes, but also in the sacrifice of the Mass. When God's time enters into man's time, you've heard me talk about that before. God's time is uh, kairos, grace time, purpose-driven time. Man's time is what? That's chronos. That's the time we put into our iPads and iPhones, right? When we allow Christ into those moments in our past that we are still suffering, we allow his healing power to make all things new. And yes, while some deep wounds may need to be treated with therapy and counseling, one cannot deny the intense grace that comes from inviting Christ into our hearts during the parts of the Mass in which we actively participate in God's action, right? We must allow the divine physician to perform surgery in our hearts. Jesus answers the problem of suffering not by removing it, but by giving it redemptive power. Here again, we are made to reflect upon what the word excruciating means. We use that word when we are undergoing something that is extremely difficult, extremely painful. We say it is excruciating. And what does that word mean? Coming from the Latin excruces, from the cross. Brothers and sisters, when members of the body of Christ conform their excruciating pain to that of Christ on the cross and pray in one accord, we proclaim your death, Lord Jesus, until you come again, that prayer we pray during the Eucharistic prayer. The memory of Christ lives within man and ultimately, by the grace of God in the world. Brothers and sisters, in the end, the Eucharist is an actualization of Christ's self-offering to God, which not only fulfills the Passover covenant, but transforms it, and in doing so, calls us to share in the transformation of history. The church is never short on men and women willing to make present the sacrifice of Christ, and because of this, the church will never atrophy like a muscle that stops working out. This is what lies at the heart of it all. You know, on that cold winter day when the sight of the stands and the smell of the grass made me keenly aware of events long ago, I was awakened to a principle that extends beyond the human realm to the realm of conversion, the realm in which Christ belongs to his infinite mystery. As memory and identity are interlocked, we see that it is the Eucharist that gives them their proper scope and meaning. St. Augustine once spoke of uh, the memory as this vast and immeasurable sanctuary because it is in our memory that we are wired for God in the Eucharist, the everlasting sanctuary in Christ. So let us enter into Christ's words, do this in remembrance of me. And in doing so, make present the sacrifice of Christ 2,000 years later. And with that, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.